Amen. I'm going to, I'm getting to the age where I'm actually going to have to start writing myself a list. My memory is no longer good enough, I think. So that's a shocker, isn't it? Uh, does Prevagen work? Anybody tell me? I forgot, you forgot to take it this morning? It's okay. Uh, well, amen. Uh, it seemed like when I, on Sunday I remember something else. Oh yeah, what about this and what about that? Well, amen. It's a wonder uh, God gets anything out of me. Well, Daniel chapter 2 is where you are. Have you ever had a nightmare that seemed so real that you awakened in terror and even sweating? Um, you ever had those? I, I know for many of you, like April 15th is pretty much close to that time, right? So, have a nightmare. Um, I, I do want to say something to you now, th- this one simple statement that you need to take hold of this and let this be your theology. And that is, not every dream has a meaning. Um, in fact, most of them don't. Um, most dreams don't have any correspondence whatsoever to reality. There are several causes of dreams. One of them is what you think about while you're awake. If you think about something a lot, something's on your mind, then it's very likely that some weird, bizarre, twisted uh, dream is going to come from that. Uh, sometimes what you eat late at night. Uh, there, there are lots of causes. So when you have a dream to say or to connect that with some message from God is pretty it's pretty iffy. It's pretty out there. So you, you want to be careful. And some of you is like, well, I know that God sent me. You don't know anything. You, you What you're trying to do is convince yourself of it. And, and so I, I want you to be very careful about that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I know Aerosmith says to dream on, but I would just want to caution you. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, however... This was a dream that was sent by God. If it were not sent by God, it wouldn't be in the Bible. And so your dreams are not in the Bible. So therefore, draw your own conclusion. This was a dream sent by God and it was intended to disturb him. But it's also meant to elevate Daniel's reputation as a prophet. And ultimately, finally, it's meant to glorify God as the one and only God. Because you remember the historical context. You remember what's going on in Daniel's day here. Nebuchadnezzar and his gods have invaded Judah. And they've taken stuff out of the temple and exiled uh, people from Judah. The best and the brightest uh, back to uh, the the, uh, kingdom of a Babylonian kingdom. And so... Uh, the whole idea of people as well, Nebuchadnezzar's gods must be the greatest gods. Because remember, those folks in those days that were not followers of the one true God, everything was circumstantial that would determine. They didn't have revelation. They didn't have this. So everything they thought about God was circumstantial. And so if the harvest was good, then that God must be great because I thought about having a good harvest. And so when we'd had good wheat that year, then the God of wheat from whatever country in the world, well, that must be the right God. And so the circumstances, positive circumstances always proved the truth of a God. And so if you had a warfare and your side wins, then it proves by those circumstances that your God is the greater God. And so everything was pragmatic and that's how you determined what was true. If it was good for you, it must be true. If it's hard for you, it must not be true. Well, have you ever heard that kind of thinking anywhere before? But that's the way people are. Apart from God... Even Christian people have a tendency to filter life through that very same lens, the lens of the pagans. If it's good for me, then it must be good. And it must be of God or whatever God. If it's bad, if it's difficult, if it's hard, it's not what I thought it ought to be, then that must not be of God. So sometimes we will spiritualize it in a way and say, well, it must be of the devil then. And so Nebuchadnezzar here uh, is in his, his, his world, he's the... He's the king of kings. I mean, he's the strongest nation in the world. And so his gods, the world would think, everybody around him would think, his gods must be the great gods. 
And so God is wanting to discipline Judah. But he's also wanting to make sure that the world recognizes that Nebuchadnezzar's gods are false gods. And that there's only one God and the God in heaven. And so you see that theme begin to unfold. And you'll notice how Daniel just feeds that to Nebuchadnezzar and to the kingdom of Babylon, the Chaldeans. Just little by little, he feeds the truth back to them. But I want us to look at this chapter, chapter 2, for a moment and talk about the statue and the stone. That's kind of the, the climax of this dream and what it's about. And so you see in verses 1 through 11, the king's troubling dream. And so let's read those verses in the second year, second chapter of the book of Daniel. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. And it's interesting, the book of Daniel now switches over to the Aramaic language and it's Aramaic to the, rest of, uh, to the end. Aren't you glad that we just have English? I love English. It's great. So then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. Seems logical, doesn't it? The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. Thank you, sweetheart. The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. I will get you and your family and your dog. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, do you see what he's saying? I had a dream. And now I want you to tell me what the dream is. And then you can tell me the interpretation. If you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the dream, till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Interesting. This is the king and he's built the society based upon sorcery and soothsaying and fortune telling and astrology. And he calls them in and says, I don't trust a one of you. Right? The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Should have, shouldn't he? The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And so here you have the king and his dream. Now the impact of the vision, verses 1 through 3, tells us his spirit was troubled in his sleep. And his sleep left him, the Bible says. And so he says in verse 3, my spirit is troubled to know the dream. It's important here to realize that this is no ordinary dream. That God sent this dream for the express purpose of disturbing King Nebuchadnezzar. God wants to disturb this guy. And so as far as kings and their hearts are concerned, here is what we need to remember. The Bible says this, it is God who turns the hearts of the kings wherever he wishes. Humans think they're in control. The joke is on us. Psalm 2 says God laughs at the schemes and plans of the kings of the earth. And God here is going to turn Nebuchadnezzar's heart. It's essential to realize this, that God is in control. In fact, I call him here the king of the crisis. God is the one who brings this crisis about. 
Many times we look at life and if there's a crisis, we say this must be of the devil. Or I don't know why this has happened, but we must realize this. God is the king of the crisis. God is the one who has brought it about. You say, well, then that means I can just do whatever I want to. Yes, you can. You just, just go right ahead and do what you want to. But I do want to remind you that there are consequences. You still are held accountable for the actions that you take. And if your actions are sinful, there is an accountability. But yet, even through your sin, God will work to bring about the end that He desires. Our sin cannot stop what God demands. And Russ Kempton and I were talking about this the other day, how interesting it is that God calls the Assyrians to come and invade Israel... And destroy it. And so God is the one that does that. He calls the Assyrians from the east to come. And then he says to the Assyrians, because you did that, you're in trouble. What is that about? The Assyrians actually accomplished the will of God. But they didn't do it with the right motive. They had a sinful heart. And so God just used that sinful heart to get accomplished what he needed to get accomplished anyway. But their heart was wrong. There's a great deal of difference between these two things. One, our justice system taking the life of a mass murderer. Giving him the needle and taking his life. As opposed to someone walking up to someone else and shooting them on the street. There's a difference. One's justice. One's the heart of doing what's right and fair. And the other is selfishness to destroy. The Assyrians had the mindset of selfishness and destruction. And God was like, I'll just use that. I can work with that. Go get them. And so God takes his hands back from Israel. Assyrians come in. Take it. And they're gone, and God says, mm-hmm, that's what I needed to happen, but now you people are in trouble. God is in charge of all of these activities. God is at work in our own nation here. Even through the sinfulness, even through the sinful desires, even through the wickedness, God will use it. But we must remember this. Wicked hearts bring about the judgment of God. So we'll still be accountable for the decisions that we make. So here we have this king. He has this dream. And God is the one that's disturbing him. And notice in verses 4 through 11 there that we read. That section talks about the insistence of of the interpretation. He says, if you don't make this known to me, the, the dream it is. You tell me, I've had a dream now and you tell me what it is. And then when you tell me what it is, I know I can trust you with the interpretation. And, and, and the, these fortune tellers and soothsayers and magicians, they're saying, well, well, wait, wait a minute, I'll tell you what. Tell us the dream and we'll tell you the meaning. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, y'all a bunch of charlatans. Now, he's the one that appointed them. He, he's, he's the one that's approved of them. He's the one that's, that's exalted them in the kingdom. But it's for his own purposes. But now when it comes down to real life. And I don't need to talk with you. Isn't it interesting. They gets down toward the end of life. People call for the preacher. The one they couldn't stand their whole life. The one they didn't want to have anything to do with. But now all of a sudden. It gets down to reality. And we're looking for the truth. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar is now. He's had this nightmare. I don't know if he couldn't remember all the details or if he just decided to put this as the test. But it, it, either way, it's the test for these people. And maybe he just got tired of being tricked. We, we don't know that. But what we do know is this. He calls upon these people, these astrologers, these fortune tellers, these people that are reading uh, the, their astrology in the newspaper and all of that. And he says, if you don't do both of these, then I'm going to rip you apart limb by limb. Now, let me, let me remind you of this. Nebuchadnezzar had been known to roast people on spits. Just roast them. He'd been known to impale people. He'd been known to pull them apart. He, 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 this guy was not kidding here. 
Okay, so, so th- these, these charlatans, they know this. And so now they, they've said, well, I, you, you're, you're going to have to help us here. And, he, and finally they say something true. And you get down to verse 11, they finally speak the truth. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now they didn't know the true God, but they did say something truthful. Mere man cannot do this. It must be from somewhere else. God is directing these events exactly as he wants them to go. There's no crisis in heaven. There's no chaos. God is, is, is never awakened one morning and said to himself, Dear Lord, what's going on down there? That's not how it goes, people. That's not how it works. We may not like the way God is orchestrating history. We may not like that we have to live in some of it. But let me just remind you. The book of the Revelation has already been written. And it is going exactly there. So, again, the the king has this troubling dream. Now... The next thing that happens is the prophet's timely discernment. In verses 12 through 30, let's read that section, then make a few comments. And if you can think about it this way, here's, here's what we have this morning. You, you have on your cell phone, you have a photo album. And what, all we're doing is looking at three pictures. So picture number one, here's a picture of the king and his nightmare. Okay. So that's that one. And so now the next one is. Here's the prophet. And so notice here in these verses. Daniel's response. Because of, ki- of this. The king was angry and very furious. And commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, do you notice something here? Daniel was not with the charlatans. He was not with the deceivers that came to see the king. He's not in that group, even though he got trained in all that stuff. They ran him through it. They, they ran him through Ohio University. He went through all of that. He knows what they think. He knows how they do. But he didn't eat it. He didn't take that in. He knows it in his head. But it didn't affect his heart. So he's not a part of that group. Even though he has all the training of that group. Then Daniel replied. Look at this. With prudence and discretion to Arioch. The captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Here's a guy, he's probably at this time maybe 19 years old. Here comes the executioner with hood on and everything. And Daniel replies with prudence and discretion. Could, <laughs> could there be anything more diffusing that the Bible could say there? Using words like prudence and discretion. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain. Arioch, have you had your coffee this morning? Take your hood off and sit down for a moment. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whom you know probably better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know them best by their uh, Babylonian names. And he told them to seek mercy from God, uh, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what was asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Daniel was gracious. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. The prophet's timely timely discernment here is seen. The prophet's peace of mind. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, which we pointed out. His demeanor is astounding. He's a very young man. How does he respond? Well, what's the hurry? This guy is coming to chop heads off and goes, oh, okay, 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 sit down a minute. I just want to ask you a question. What's the hurry? How can Daniel be so calm in the midst of this? This is a life-threatening crisis. How can he be so calm? Simple, as I said before. He knows that God is the king of the crisis. A crisis is not a situation in which God has lost control. Crisis is actually a situation where God has orchestrated it so that he can show that he's in control. So Daniel knows God created this crisis. Daniel knows that God sent this dream, this nightmare to the king. We realize that God may allow wickedness to afflict you. He may create a crisis in your life. He may create some disease to ravage you. He may do all kinds of things in life that creates a crisis. Why would God do this? Isn't he supposed to be kind? Isn't he supposed to make life just nothing but a tulip garden? I mean, isn't that what you signed up for when you got saved? Well, excuse me, you decided to follow a suffering servant. Why does God do these things to you? To display your faith in him like Daniel. And ultimately that he may manifest his glory and his power over all things. Remember Nebuchadnezzar intends to tear people apart. And he's going to start with Daniel if Daniel doesn't get this right. Daniel has made an appointment with the king. And I would submit to you it's harder to get an appointment with Nebuchadnezzar than it is even to get one with me he this is not so this is not going if Daniel doesn't get this right it's not going to go well but Daniel knows who's the real king he knows he's in charge so the the prophet's peace of mind comes from this fact that he knows that God is the sovereign Lord over all things and that God works through his providence that is his hand at work in moving all the pieces of history. God does all of that. And then we have the prophet's prayer with his brothers. He gathers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together and he says, seek mercy from the God of heaven. Plan A in a crisis, plan A always is prayer. Every time. Prayer is first. Sadly, what we do 
and I do is we fight our way through the crisis till we get to the point that we realize we can't make it through the crisis and then we finally pray. So prayer to us becomes, it becomes the spare tire rather than the, 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 the steering wheel. Prayer should be first. Why, why pray first? Because we know God created this situation. So let's talk to the one that created it. And our praying is not, Daniel never prays, oh God, take this away. Oh God, why have you put me in this situation? God, I want to go home. I, I don't want to be in Babylon anyway. Lord, I, you, you, you made me learn all this stuff and, and, and you put me around these secular people and these pagan people. I don't get to work at the church office. And I, I just, I don't understand why you treat, Daniel, you don't hear that from Daniel. Daniel knows God is in charge here. So he's just going to talk to the one in charge. Why not? See, Daniel had to make an appointment with Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't have to make one with God. He just gathers the boys together and says, now listen here. I know that I'm disturbing summer camp with you guys. Because these boys were still in youth ministry. He said, we got an important matter here. Our mamas and daddies are not going to help us with this. We're going to have to talk to God together. And they're like, well, you know, we don't mind praying. What's up? Well, y'all going to die if you don't pray. Okay, we're ready to pray. What time is prayer meeting? And so they, they, the prayer is first. It's a first priority. It's first. Why? Because in prayer you partner with God. Prayer is not about bending God's will to earth. It's about bending your will to heaven. And so God is, is going to help them to see. God is going to assure them. Now, you see in this verse is the prophet's praise to God. When God gives Daniel the vision and says, here's what it means. Here's what King Nebuchadnezzar saw. And here's what it means. Then Daniel turns and praises God. Notice that Daniel's praise is filled with nothing but truth about God. He says of God, to whom belong wisdom and might. Now, the word wisdom there can mean foresight or foreknowledge. God can see history. But now let me help you with your theology. God doesn't foresee history and then make his plans. Whether we're talking about nations or your life. God doesn't foresee your decision and then decide he's going to work his plan around your decision. That's paganism. That's not how God works. Do you know why God has foreknowledge? Because of might. He's the one who causes the future. That's how he knows the future is because he causes it by his decree. Do you know why God was not shocked when you trusted Christ? Because he caused it. Do you know why he had foreknowledge that you were going to become a Christian? Because he caused it. It's not as if he's walking around trying to watch and see all the decisions of humans and go, Oh Lord, let's, oh wait, hey! Change that plan. Whoop, we got one down. One down in Ohio, trusted Jesus. That's a shocker. Let's change all of this. Oh my. Some of you have a theology like God is running around heaven trying to manage an anthill. That's not how it works. God has wisdom. And God has all this foreknowledge. Because God has might. And it's going to happen just like he says. And my friends, that is a comforting reality. So, God makes and creates the future through people. God's not a crystal ball gazer like these magicians and astrologers. He's not like the Chaldeans. Instead, He's the sovereign Lord over history. That is the point of the book of Daniel. That God is the sovereign Lord over history. It's his story. He's the one doing all of these things. This will help you a little bit. Let me, let me tell you how this will help you. 
When you're watching Fox News in the morning and you're drinking your coffee and then you throw it at the television because of what the Democrats are doing and you walk around, you go to work that day and you're ready to strangle someone and something doesn't go right and you've let out a few words that you shouldn't let out. And you're just ranting and raving when you get home. I have to pay more of these taxes. I'm going to kill somebody. How in the world? Where, where was that $300 a kid when we had kids? That's what I want to know. I think they should make that retroactive. I mean, you know, if you've made it through, you ought to get some kind of award. They give them $300 apiece to people that don't even know how to raise kids. So here we are. And so you, you could drive yourself nuts. But here, here, here's what the book of Daniel will do for you. Just back up. God's agenda, my friend, is not to preserve the United States of America. That's not God's agenda. Now I pray that a healthy, thriving USA is part of what God wants to do in history. At least in my lifetime. After I die, he can do what he wants. <laughs> but that's not God's... We don't know that to be God's agenda. We don't know that. What we do know is this. God is orchestrating everything exactly as he wants. You say, well, if that's the case, it's all fatalism. I don't need to... No. You, you need to go vote. You, you, you have to do your responsibility. Remember, God works through secondary means. He, he works through people. So you need to go vote. You, you need to do those things. Absolutely. But when the outcome comes, you need to recognize this fact. That it's God who has orchestrated this. I don't have to be thankful to Joe Biden but I do have to be thankful to God for what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. I don't have to like what he's doing. I, I, I don't even know that Daniel liked Nebuchadnezzar. It never says. It, 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 that's never a point here. Why? Because Daniel's eyes are on God. He knows every king is temporary. He knows every kingdom will fall. So he's not putting all his eggs in that basket as if that's the end of all things. It's not the end of all things. It's not. Some of you think things about me like I'm not patriotic. It's because you're not listening. You, you go live in a foreign country without the support and commissary of the military and all of the things that they give you. You go live in that for a while. You come back. I literally kiss the ground when I got back here. Literally. You think I just won the Indianapolis 500. I didn't care who'd been stepping on those bricks. It's a blessing. So what, that, That's not the point. The point is this is not everything. This is not the end of all things. The, the, the book doesn't go, and then in the end they all become Americans, amen, and live with Jesus. That's not how the book goes. So our, our job is to say, hey, we enjoy the blessings of this, hold it loosely, because we're not guaranteed any of these things. God's agenda, we do not know God's agenda as far as this country is concerned. We don't know that agenda. But we do know our responsibility is to be Daniel. That's what we do. We speak the truth. We live by the truth. No matter what the government's doing, that's what we do. So Daniel's praise to God. The point of this is, is just God is the Lord over all of these things. Now, the, the last verses here, the stone's total dominion. I said something stupid to myself today. I said, Tim, you know, you, you do have that business meeting afterwards. It's, it's brief. It won't be long. But, you know, I hate to keep God's people a long time. It, it just makes it hard for them on Sundays. I'm going to stop at 15 till. I'm going to stop when I get finished. Is what I'm going to stop. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. All right, so here we go. So, but I'll, I'll try to... And those of you that are our guests, it's not always like this. It's usually worse. Okay, so... Let me, let me, let me help us. Okay, so verse 31. Let's, let's read this now. 
Here's, here's Daniel in the dream now. So uh, you say, you saw king and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was a fine goat, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory... And into whose, hand, into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, of, of the heavens, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these and as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as the iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. And its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. And commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts. And made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So the stones... Now, okay, so let me ask this question. You read this passage of scripture. What do you think happens to the United States of America? The stones crushes and it blows away like chaff no human kingdom will stand before the stone not one not one see that's a hard reality but it is reality let's work through this for a moment this stone its total dominion is seen here. First of all, human kingdoms will rise. Verses 31 through 43, go through the list. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. So kingdoms are going to rise. The Babylonian kingdom arose in 605 B.C., somewhere around there. And by 539 B.C., it was gone. In its place, the Medes and Persians came in. They defeated the Babylonians. See, the Babylonians were the greatest kingdom on earth and lasted about 65 years. The Medes and Persians came, 539 B.C. They ruled the world until 331 B.C. After that was the Greek Empire. We'll learn more about that. And Alexander the Great, 331 B.C. to 146 B.C. That's the bronze of the statue. The silver, the Medes and Persians, and the gold, obviously the Babylonian Empire. Then what about these legs of iron and the feet with iron and clay? That's the Roman Empire. Roman Empire was known for its iron and it crushed 
And you'll notice there are two legs here, the east and the west. You have Rome, you have Constantinople. The two, the two sides of the Roman Empire. And then you remember about the Roman Empire, what they did was they would go into these other countries and they would conquer, but they would Romanize them and teach them the Roman culture and the Roman language and so on. And they would try to take those people and mix them. And you know, every country in the Western Hemisphere owes its roots to Rome. Why do you think we have something called a Senate? Where do you think that's from? What about the word Republic? Where did that come from? What about even our thinking? From Aristotle. Logic. The way we look at things. Roman influence. See, the Roman Empire, though gone, still lives. And that's why at the end of all things, there will be some version of that that the Antichrist will rule. Well, what will that be? It's going to be the Western Hemisphere. The nations of the Western Hemisphere. Why? Because we all have the Roman influence in us. Way of thinking, way of life, liberty, democratic processes. See, even Russia, what do they used to have? Their king, they called it czar, a czar. That's just Russian for Caesar. That's, that's, that's all that it is. So, you know, countries all over the world, we're, we're influenced by those things. Why do you think even in our schools, we still study what? Julius Caesar. Now, you, now you, you're, you're in class, you're in high school, and your teacher says, this year we're going to study Julius Caesar. And the class, you know, they let out a, a, an applause, right? No, they're like, oh, man. Why do we keep it? Because that's our history. That's our influence. These kingdoms rise. But then also verse 44 through 49, we see his king will reign. And in the days of those kings, the king, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This stone that's cut out not by human hands. Who do you think would rule that kingdom? A Christ who is not made by human hands. The stone is the kingdom of God. What does the king announce when he arises? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, if you will not turn to the stone, you will be crushed by it. If you do not submit to the reign and rule and power of the stone, you will be ground to powder, he says. The stone... This is God's visible and final reign over people. And these people that he rules will be a people who love him. A people that want to obey him. Whose allegiance belongs to Christ. The ruler of this kingdom is Jesus. And we must realize this. Here, here, this fact, you just got to understand this. As far as human kingdoms are concerned, the empire does not strike back. Their kingdoms are all shattered. They shatter because all human constructions are flawed. Every human construction eventually turns against the rule of Jesus Christ. Take our nation, for example. Where we are now, are the people in our nation trying harder than ever to live under the rule and reign of Christ? Of course not. Which way are we going? Ladies and gentlemen, let me just remind you of something. An election will not change the hearts of people. All we're doing with elections, we're just switching back and forth economies. That's all we're doing. It's just the greedy people versus the tree huggers. That's all we got. I mean, really, just boil it down to what it is. That's what we're looking at. And so it, this is not a thing where, uh, you know, we had some people say to us, I thought I was going to puke. Some people said to us one time, well, you know, uh, you know, I know God's man. Donald Trump is God's man. In what way, may I ask? What, what, he, no. He happened to have some more traditional values of American economy and so on and so forth, which we tend to, many of us tend to agree with. But as far as he, him as a person, then God's man. I mean, I, I, I doubt he could find the book 
book of Ecclesiastes. I'm pretty sure he couldn't. Okay, so that, that's nonsense. The, the elections do not change the hearts of people. It just makes the greedy happy or it makes the tree huggers happy. That's all you got. That, that's it. it. It's not as if the people... Are, see, what, what we get in the White House is a reflection of us. It's not the cause of us. It's reflection. The cause of us is our sinfulness. That's what causes us. And so as American citizens, we're not more and more and more turning to Jesus. That's not happening. We, we don't, we, there's not a propensity in us to ask this question, what does God want? We don't ask that. That's not what we're asking anymore. They're too, the, the politicians, you know what they worry about? What the polls are saying. They're not worried about what is the book saying. They don't worry about that. So even our own nation, as great and glorious as the founding would be, we're not more and more seeking to live under the rule of Jesus. Oh no, we're seeking more and more to break out from the rule of Jesus. That's what's happening. You say, I don't like hearing that. I don't like saying it. But it's the truth. And so just changing elections and changing presidents, it might give us some relief politically or economically or something like that. And that's great. It's wonderful. Man, I want it as much as you do. But it's not changing the hearts of the people of our nation. They're not changing and coming closer and closer to Christ. More and more and more people are turning away from Christ. But here is the fact of the matter. It doesn't matter. In no way will that deter the steps of the king of heaven. He is marching. He is going to bring this world to its feet. Here is the only choice you have. You can bow willingly to Jesus and be saved. Or you can be forced to bow and have his foot on your throat. That is the choice that you have. No one has the choice to overthrow him because he cannot be overthrown. No one has the choice to avoid him because he cannot be avoided. No one has the choice to ignore him because he cannot be ignored. No one has the choice to hide from him because no one can hide from him. He is the final reality that you must face. What do we conclude from this? I know you want to get to this, so let let me do say there is a point to this. I I would say four statements here that, that maybe would help us from the second chapter. One is, is an obvious one and, and a simple one, but let me say it anyway. To make decisions based upon dreams is foolish. We have the word of God. Nebuchadnezzar's situation is God choosing to get the attention of a pagan king. And so I would not, if I were you, I would be smart and I would read God's clear word and I would not do dumb things based upon a dream you think you had. You know, uh, you may not like the way I say it, but I do say it in a way you remember it. Number two, God alone rules over and in the nations. He even brings sinful nations and takes them and moves them to carry out his purposes to bring the world to its proper conclusion. Number three, the Bible is trustworthy. We have here the indisputable prophecy of history well before it even happened. And it is historically provable that Daniel's prophecy preceded the events of the world that he will show that unfolds before us. Number four, Jesus will conquer your kingdom too. You may think you have set up your own little kingdom and that you are ruling your own life the way you want it to go. And you're making your own decisions without checking in with him. And that you don't want a Lord lording over you. And you want to live your independent life. And so you have set up your own little kingdom. But I promise you 
that if the Lord Jesus can overthrow the Roman Empire, he will have no problem overthrowing your little bitty tiny empire in Ross County. So here is the thing. The king has given us a day of grace. Bow now and be saved. Surrender to Jesus and be saved. Wave the white flag and be saved. Or resist to the end and be destroyed. Choose. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the challenge of it. Thank you for the truth of it, but also the comfort of it. Lord, thank you for reminding us of the fact that you have your plan for history and it will not be deterred, it will not be changed. Humans can't derail your plan. You utilize humans and then laugh because they think they have done something. Lord, I pray today though especially for those whose hearts are troubled about the future. That you would remind them that you are the future. You are the one that we have to answer to. It is to your throne that all kingdoms come. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see today that each of us individually though we may try to be a king over our own life or a little God that rules and decides everything for ourselves as we please that even those kingdoms will be crushed by his kingdom if they don't surrender today so I pray for every heart that's here today Lord every heart that's its own kingdom that you would conquer today by your grace By your goodness and by your kindness. Let them sign a peace treaty with you today. Let them enter into a covenant with you. Let them find that you are the greatest king and lord they could ever hope for. Lord, I ask that they would turn to you and be saved today and be rescued. Father, uh, thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for your kindness. We pray, Lord, that you would use it to work in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.